Well, good morning to all of you. I'm glad that you're here to worship the Lord, and we continue in that worship as we open uh, God's Word uh, together. Our text for this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, so I invite you to turn there, please. Acts, chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. Uh, as you are finding that place uh, in your Bible or on your device, an um, interesting article that came out dated uh, March 29th of this year, 2021, uh, from the Washington Post that said that church membership in the U.S. has fallen below the majority for the first time in nearly a century. That's, trub that's troubling. It's dr dropped below 50%. This is, they said it's the first time that this has happened since this question was uh, asked in 1937 where church membership was at 73%. It was in 2020 where 47% of Americans said that they belonged to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. The polling also found that a number of people who said religion was very important to them had fallen to 48%. Uh, it's a no, new low. It's kind of interesting that this article says that it's correlated with age. In fact, 66% uh, of American adults born before 1946 belong to a church, compared with only 58% of baby boomers and 50% of Gen Xers and only 36% of uh, millennials. Um, they said that some of the reasons that they found in this study as to why that's happening is uh, that the church has uh, started to think uh, sometimes beyond what the scripture says uh, from the word of God. And they also said that the, uh, the borders have, have shifted in people's thinking where there is a distrust of institutions there's disillusionment by the behavior of religious leaders, all the scandals that are there, uh, and there's also uh, the result of the political, uh, 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 the political affiliations that the church has made, that has sidetracked. In fact, uh, this article says, and this is a troubling trend, that people are mixing and matching from various religious traditions to create their own. Many people who don't identify with a particular religious institution say that they still believe in God or they pray or do things that are associated with faith. Uh, one person says, why shouldn't I pray or meditate or attend or liturgy or perhaps I feel closer to the divine when I can do something privately rather than something that is prescribed for me. And this person says, I put my own spin on it. The vacuum of religion just can't remain a vacuum, said this author of this article. Americans are believers in some sense, and there has to be structures of belief and belonging. The question is, what will take place of these re religious affiliations? That's a, that's a troubling uh, statistic that less and less people are being a part of uh, the organized and local church. You can, you can add to what this uh, writer uh, suggests as the reasons for that, these things, and there are observations that I've made. 
Number one, moving away from biblical authority. When the church moves away from the word of God and biblical authority, something is going to come in to take the place of that authority. And a lot of times it's humanism. It's man-made philosophies. It's, it's teachings that are, that are contrary to the Word of God, and they're just totally humanistic in their approach. They don't even take God into account. You can certainly add to this, and it, it, it's, it's, it's something that we all need to consider is hypocrisy. How many people have left churches because they say the church is full of hypocrites? And they're, and, they're, and they're right of that. They're right to draw that conclusion because we say one thing and yet many times we live totally different than what we say we believe. When someone says that, the church is full of hypocrites, just respond to them, well, come and join us anyways. One more won't matter. No, I, I say that in all sobriety and seriousness, though. But and I've already mentioned this, the humanistic approaches to spiritual work. If we could just get more organized and be like the business world, maybe the church would run a little bit better. Maybe we would be more productive. Oh, we could be the Chick-fil-A of the church. Really? And then lastly, and this is, this is certainly one of the things that, that causes the church to be ineffective is Ultimately, a lack of dependence upon the Spirit of God. Because it's apart from Jesus Christ that you and I can do nothing. And until we realize that and come to the place where we're fully surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ and asking Him to fill us and overflow us with the Holy Spirit, we will be ineffective in being the people of God that He calls us to be in Jesus Christ. In fact, if there's no real difference between the church and any other group or institution, why would anybody want to be part of the church? It's not that people are, are not interested in Christianity. Uh, they just have trouble with the idea and concept of the church. And I note a stark contrast uh, to the church that we see in the book of Acts. So let me have you turn to this passage here in Acts chapter 2 and follow along as I read. It's on the screen, uh, our, our text for this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. You have here in this, this passage uh, a summary statement, an, an overview uh, that gives us the picture of the heart and focus uh, of this early church. 
Last week, Isaiah did a phenomenal job in presenting us the word where he highlighted the heart attitude and the actions that flow from that as he looked at uh, this passage before us. Um, Interestingly, if you were to summarize this, uh, William Barclay in his commentary on the book of Acts suggests that the church was, was characterized by these things. It was a learning church. It was a church of fellowship, which meant there was a togetherness. It was a praying church, which meant that they realized they could not meet life's demands in their own strength, and they needed to depend upon God. It was a reverent church in that they were filled with awe. It was a church where things happened. People depended upon God, expected God to work, and in fact, he did. It was a sharing church in which they felt uh, the responsibility to care for one another. It was a worshiping church. Uh, They they did not forget to go to the house of God, the temple, together. It was a happy church. It wasn't gloomy. There was gladness and there was joy. And he says here lastly, it was a church whose, whose people others could not help liking. Get that. It was attractive. People were were amazed. There was a winsomeness to the church uh, in the book of Acts, and people were attracted to it. I would say, and I would trust that this would be your prayer, Lord, do it again. Lord, do it again. Make what we see in this book of Acts true of Faith Alliance Church and your church in this day. Because after all, as I said, as we started this series through the book of Acts, we are still in the book of Acts. Nothing has changed. God is still writing church history, and we are part of the church. There is one church, the universal church of the Lord Jesus Christ, those whom he has redeemed by his blood and his resurrection. Now, Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 is the the most uh, detailed summary uh, of six that are, are listed in the book of Acts. Uh, And the thing is, even though it is a summary statement telling us uh, sort of a snapshot at the given time what was happening in the church, Luke doesn't give us all the details. It is a broad overview, but yet it's instructive for us even today. Uh, And we see here uh, where the church put their emphasis, number one. Where they put their efforts and their energy as they came together as the body of Christ. Then we also see the expressions that grew out of that relationship to God. How how they expressed their faith and their walk with God. And then, thirdly, it becomes for us an example. That's why God put it in his word. He wants us to follow in their steps, if you would, and to expect the same thing and to do the same thing that we might be all that he desires us to be. If you want a little acronym to try and remember the four main uh, elements uh, of this passage, Chuck Swindoll says, think of the word wife, W-I-F-E. He says they had worship, W. They had instruction, I. They had fellowship, F. And they had expression, E. It helps you to remember this, this passage together. I'll have you note with me the context as you recall, this, is, this comes right on the heels and right after the day of Pentecost, where, where Peter preached the message and 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. 
What an amazing thing. The church was being built on that day of Pentecost when the Spirit came and filled and baptized those believers. The, the, the outflow of that was 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. And now these 3,000 plus, the ones who are already believers, are now together in this new body called the church. And I'll have you, you notice here uh, in, in the passage that was read for us, if you have the ESV, that you'll notice that, uh, that the word and is used 15 times. It's not in all the translations, but in the ESV they chose it and, 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 and. The reason why is this whole passage hangs together, meaning uh, it's all together, it, it fits together. Uh, showing that, that these believers were interacting in these ways with one another, and these were the ways that they, as a body, were expressing their new life in Jesus Christ. These new believers indicated by their actions that they had been transformed by faith in Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah. And so the question that I ask myself is, are you different because you are a follower of Jesus Christ today? Is your life different and distinct because you name the name of Jesus? These, these believers here were different because of their relationship to Jesus Christ. And notice what the text says. We're only going to be looking at just the one phrase this morning, the opening phrase of verse 42. And notice this. It says, And they, those who had become believers in Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first thing I want you to notice is that they were devoted. They were devoted. That word means, in a nutshell, commitment. Commitment. It, it means steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain cause. Um, Barnes suggests in his commentary that it means remaining by a person's side not leaving them or forsaking them. It's the same word that's used by Luke in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 that talks about they were devoting themselves to prayer. It, it means a persistent uh, devotion. It, it means a continuing in something. It's used of uh, Cornelius' soldier, Acts chapter 10 and verse 7, who was devoted to him. He's loyal. He's by his side. He remains there. He continues with him. That's the idea that, that, that reflected the heart of these believers in this first century. They were devoted. They were committed. We talk about making a commitment to Jesus Christ of, one, of your life. You know, that's more than just you coming to a saving knowledge of Christ and trusting him to forgive your sins and make you right with God. It's a commitment of your entire life to him, the entirety of your life. It means an ongoing persistence in pursuing him throughout your life. And the sad commentary on, on the church, not just in America, but in other places as well, is that people have sort of raised their hands as a commitment to Christ and they never follow him in life. That is not commitment. Commitment means a steadfast, single-minded fidelity and devotion to Jesus Christ that persists the perseverance of the saints in the things of God and of Jesus Christ. Chuck Swindoll said it's more than a habit or a cultural expression. It was a holy passion. Can you say that your walk with Jesus Christ is a holy passion? That you're pursuing him with all your heart? 
And these believers were devoted. They were devoted, which means that they are saying, I want to, I long to, I aim to, I desire to, and in fact, I do. Do you get it? Do you get it? Does that reflect your walk with God this morning? Not just in this one aspect that we're going to talk about, but in all these aspects, in being a Christ follower in these days. How is your devotion to Jesus Christ? I want you to notice here that it was a choice that each one of them made. It was a choice that they made. The, the, the choice a person makes to, to identify as a, as a Christ follower and be identified with the body of Christ is a choice that, that has to be made. And their actions reflected, were reflected by what was in their hearts. You know, Jesus says what's in a heart will come out of a person. And their heart was devoted to Christ. It was fully given to him. And notice it was ongoing. It was continual. It wasn't just when things were good. You know, back in around the 80s, early 80s maybe, uh, right around the time that I came to faith in Jesus Christ, it was kind of popular to be a Christian in America, if you can remember back to those days. Everybody was, everybody was kind of saying, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. You know? Oh, how the tides have changed in about 35, 40 years. It's no longer popular. It's no longer the fad. It's no longer the thing that everybody's doing. Well, Christianity is not a fad. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I have here in my notes here, Christianity is not a, a religion, but it is a relationship. It's not a set of rules of do's and don'ts and what you do and don't do and, and a bunch of, of uh, different things you have to abide by. It's first of all a relationship with Jesus Christ and then expressed by the way that you live on a daily basis. And it is expressed in one of the contexts, not just your personal life, but in the context of the church. Let me ask you this question. Do you have a commitment to the church of Jesus Christ? Not necessarily has to be this particular fellowship, but I'm talking about a commitment to the church of Jesus Christ. It is the body of Christ. It is what God has ordained where his believing people express their relationship to God in a context of being together. Are you committed to the church? You know that I saw a statistic recently, maybe it's not so recent, but it says that people who attend regular worship services, two out of four Sundays of the month are considered committed. Well, what do you do on the other two Sundays? Now, I can understand if you're sick, if you're unable, or if you know, other circumstances prevent you from coming, but what are you doing with your other weeks? Oh, well, I've got a golf tournament. Oh, well, I've got this. Well, I've got that. Well, I've got... Well, where is your commitment to the church? You know, there's people who don't serve in the church because they've got too many other commitments on Sunday that it might interrupt their plans. When God's people get together, one of the things Scripture would exhort us is that you get together with the church. And these people were committed to that. You know, the Apostle Paul said it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he only said that once, but in Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. How are you going to know him if you don't spend time with him? Not only individually, but as a body of believers. And notice what they were devoted to. There were four specific things, four main points of emphasis that, that Luke records here. The first was the apostles' teaching, then to the fellowship, then to the breaking of bread, and then to prayer. 
And out of these four come the remainder of this summary statement that Luke makes. In other words, these are the, the, the foundation stones of the church. Uh, these, these are the, the, the most important things that they were engaged in. And out of that flowed everything else that you read in this passage. And they are expressing to us, this entire passage, how the truth of Jesus Christ was seen among and through his followers. Can it be, as I've said, the reason for the decline in the church and the lack of effectiveness uh, in uh, this day is that we're not committed to this same emphasis? Notice where they start here. They were devoting themselves to the first thing was in this list, the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. You know, it's kind of interesting. So many, as I've said, want to retool and recast the church based on popular opinion. In fact, one church growth expert suggested the way that you start a church is go in and sur survey a community Ask them what they want in a church and then go for it. Maybe again, that's the ineffectiveness of the church because we've tried to reflect what the culture is saying rather than going back to the Word of God. Right. And you see, these believers committed themselves and were devoted to the apostles' teaching first. Why do we not turn back to the Word of God and allow Him to tell us what the church is to be about, who we are in Jesus, and what we are to be doing as His followers? I like Michael Easley, who was a former president of Moody Bible Institute. On his uh, teaching radio program, he used to say frequently, don't let the world teach you theology. Go back to the Word of God. And God tells us by way of example where we are as a church and what we are to be even as individual believers, and this is where the emphasis is put. In other words, these things that the church did in its beginnings, these four areas, uh, are the basics. They're, nece they're, they're necessary. They're crucial. They're foundational. They're essential. They're fundamental, they're imperative, and they're needed if we are to truly be and function as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I gave you all those synonyms so that you understand the, the, the gravity uh, of this. And notice this, the first emphasis, the first place where the priority is put is upon the apostles' teaching. This heads the list, uh, and it, it is the list that it expresses uh, ultimately what follows, as I've already mentioned. All the expressions that you find later on in this passage are grounded in the Word of God. Notice, it is the apostles' teaching, or it's apostolic. These were the ones that Jesus, our Lord, chose himself directly to receive his word and to be his witnesses. They are the ones that heard Jesus teach firsthand uh, he was chosen, they were chosen by the Lord, and they were used by the Lord in the establishment of the church 
Now, the church wasn't founded on the apostles in anything that they, they did. The church is founded upon the finished work of Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the church is established then and understood in the fullness of God's word. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 tell us that the, the church, uh, in part, is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Not upon them personally, but upon the message that was entrusted to them, that was to be believed, that was to be received, that was to be uh, lived out. In fact, Hebrews uh, chapter 2 says this. Hebrews chapter 2. And note with me these words in Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And notice this. It was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to by us, by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and giftings of the Holy Spirit distributed by his will. The message was, was communicated first by the Lord to his apostles and then to his church. And so we are to take heed lest we drift away from that, says the writer to the Hebrews. It was the apostles' teaching. These believers were committed to what they uh, heard, but they didn't just want to hear it, they wanted to heed it. They just didn't want to listen to it, they wanted to live it out. They were, they were given the word of God so that they might act upon it. In other words, they were to, to know the word of God, and then they were ultimately to show uh, the word of God. And we here at uh, Faith Alliance Church are committed to the teaching of God's word. We're committed first and foremost to the teaching and preaching of God's word. And you may or may not have realized this, I trust you have, that no church and no believer is ever beyond the need to receive teaching from the Word of God. In other words, none of us ever arrive. No church ever arrives. We must always be in the Word of God that we might learn of Him. And how are we committed to that? Well, we offer Sunday school as a means of interacting with one another and with the Word of God. Do you participate in a Sunday school class that you might be taught further the truth and reality of God's word. We also have this time in our worship together every Sunday morning where the word of God is opened and we share together in God's word. We have Wednesday night Bible study and prayer for our missionaries throughout the world where we pray for God's work, but we also open his word that we might be instructed. We have community groups, which, by the way, will be starting up again at some point. COVID kind of curtailed that for a while. But community groups where we can be together where we can pray for one another, where we can have that fellowship, and we can share around God's word. There's women of faith, uh, where the ladies get together monthly to open God's word. We have Kids Club on Wednesday night that provides an opportunity for the children to once again hear God's word. And then we also have family camp, which is a special time this summer, which you need to sign up to help out, to make it happen, so that we can once again invest in getting the word of God out. 
Not just getting it out, but getting it into our lives and applying it to our daily life that we would reflect being Christ followers. And the first step away from God's program for the church is to minimize the importance of the scriptures and the exposition of God's word. You say, what do you mean by exposition? Well, expository preaching and teaching is this. It allows the text to speak for itself. You don't come with a preconceived idea like, oh, I think that God likes this. Let me find a verse that sort of fits it. No, it's you read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit instructs you, illuminates your mind, gives you understanding and insight, and you say, based on what God's Word says, ah, this is what God is saying. And by the way, let me remind you, this is not just a book. This is God's book. And when it speaks, God is speaking. Think about that. God didn't just speak in the past to his people. He's speaking now through his word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening? You remember when Jesus was baptized? The heavens opened and the scripture says, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Did you know that the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus for that brief moment took away the veil of flesh and his disciples for a little glimpse saw him in his glory. And the cloud overshadowed and the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son, with him I am well pleased. And then added these words, listen to him. Are you listening to what God is saying to you? Are you listening to what he's teaching you from his word? Not just being able to say, I understand it, I know it, I can recite it, but is the word of God transforming your life? We're told in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that we're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How is that going to happen? It's going to come through the word of God. The word of God sets our minds right. If we go to the world, we're going to get human philosophy, human viewpoints. The Bible gives us God's viewpoint. And these believers in this first century, this early church, were committed to the apostles' teaching, what the Word of God had to say. Do you hunger and thirst for knowing God more? Are you committed to hearing God speak through His Word as it's taught and as you open it? Let me say this with no uncertainty. The scriptures in their totality are the revelation of God to us and the final authority on all matters of faith and practice. The Bible alone dictates what the church is to be and to do. Period. <laughs> Exclamation point. <laughs> the word of God tells us what we are to be through Jesus Christ. Now, I told you to keep your bulletins handy, and I trust that you did. In that bulletin, you will notice two inserts uh, on uh, sort of heavier paper. The first uh, is a statement of faith. This is the statement of basic beliefs uh, of not only our church uh, and the Christian and Missionary Alliance, but pretty much every 
Bible-believing church. There might be some uh, slight variations, but that's pretty much there. You have that along with the scriptures so that you might know what we believe the scriptures teach concerning Christianity, the word of God, and what it means to be a Christ follower. Now, secondly, you have a, another page, and it says just Faith Alliance Church at the top, and you have our purpose statement. Our purpose is to know and experience the living God through Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures and to make Christ known in our community and throughout the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can somebody say amen to that? That is what we want to be about. That is what we are about as a local body of Christ. Now, you have after that the we believe, therefore we will, by. You're probably wondering, what is that? Well, for almost a year, if not longer, we had a team called the Vision Team. And we were uh, given the assignment by our district superintendent to take uh, specific things out of our statement of belief and, and simplify those statements uh, in a, a precise sentence. It was to be about 12 words or less. Let me just say some of them we couldn't get into 12 words or less. But to just sort of simplify it. Then secondly, after we went through those we believe, for example, we believe there is own, own, we believe the only God, creator, and sustainer, and ruler of all, eternally exists in three persons. Then we were charged with coming up with a therefore statement because your belief should impact what you do. It should impact how you live. You can say you believe anything, but if your actions don't line up with that, you have to ask yourself the question, do I really believe what I say I believe? So, the next statement was, therefore, we will. This is one of the ways that we're going to take what we believe and begin to sort of put, put hands and feet to it and expression to it by saying, therefore, we will respond with reverence, joy, and awe. Now, think about that for a moment. Isn't it true that God, who is the creator and sovereign of all the universe, should be responded to with reverence, joy, and awe? Yes. Well, how are we going to do that? Well, the next way is by worshiping him together through the reading of God's word, prayer, and music. That, that gives us some more specifics as to how we as a church body will express what we believe. You might say, well, that doesn't cover everything. It's not meant to. It's meant to give the, the, what we sense are the, the basics that form what we do together as the body of Christ. And the specifics there of prayer, for example, is, well, how do we express prayer? Well, number one, we come together for prayer. We, we give you the opportunity to pray for needs as they become available through the prayer chain, through emails. We, we, we encourage one another to pray for one another in the service. 
We pray for our missionaries. And on and on it goes. So you have this, both of these, both the statement of faith with the scriptures that correspond to them. You also have this statement uh, concerning our church body. And I'm encouraging you to take the time to read through these. First start with the statement of faith, then move on to the work that the vision team uh, has worked on. And by the way, this has been adopted by the Spiritual Life Committee uh, and our governing board as uh, the, the focus uh, of our church as we move forward as the body of Christ. And as God leads us, and as the Spirit gives us opportunity, we're going to sort of fill in those blanks of by, how it's going to be expressed among us as the body of Christ. And all of this is meant to say that it goes back to this first primary emphasis of the teaching of the Word of God. Because it comes out of the Word of God. It flows out of the Word of God. And notice, that was the first one that headed up this list in these uh, early days uh, of the church. Now, you might ask yourself the question, well, what did they actually teach? And I'm just going to go through this briefly because uh, Luke doesn't tell us the specifics about what they taught. Uh, and let me just say this uh, to sort of put, put uh, some, some theories to rest. By the way, the apostles did not come together and make up a theology and rules for the church. Some people say, well, you know, they were those 12 that they came together and they wanted to sort of control people, so they came up with these. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. If you read the scriptures carefully, and that's what you and I should do, number one, they taught all that Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 8, 28, verses 19 and 20. He says, go and make disciples and teach them everything that I have commanded you. So what did they communicate in their message and in their teaching that was apostolic? Everything Jesus taught. And you know what? That does not just limit it to the Sermon on the Mount. I started to read that this morning as part of my Bible reading. You know, people say, well, you know, I, I believe in the golden rule and I live by the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, really? Let's take a look at what the Sermon on the Mount says. Have you read it lately? You living that out in perfection? You know, Jesus even said in that Sermon on the Mount, you are to be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know what it did to me when I read that? Oh, God, how I need you because I know I'm not perfect. But you see, they taught what Jesus taught. So please do not think that Paul's inspired commentary in his letters or Peter or John or any of the other ones were somehow trying to, to discount what Jesus taught and come up with their own theology or their own theories. They're only taking out of what Jesus taught them and building upon them by the Spirit of God. So don't, do not, do not ever in your mind pit the Apostle Paul against the teachings of Jesus. They are totally consistent with one another. And lo and behold, even if this doesn't blow, if that doesn't blow your mind, they're totally consistent with the Old Testament as well. Do not discount the Old Testament in the study of God's word. That's all part of God's revelation to us. Secondly, their subject was Jesus Christ. Their subject was Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 18, we'll get to this much later in our study, but we're told here in Acts chapter 18 in verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. He was taken up with preaching, testifying to the Jews. What was he giving in his message? That Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. 
Later on in that same chapter, verse 24, you were introduced to a man by the name of Apollos, who apparently didn't have all of his, his biblical knowledge at the time, and, and he was instructed greater, with greater uh, understanding into the ways of the Lord. And notice, this man uh, uh, received that, and it says, verse 28, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. This is Apollos. Showing by the scriptures, proving from the scriptures, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Now, when you read that, you have to ask yourself the question, he was using the scriptures, what scriptures was he using? The Old Testament. And we are committed to both testaments of the word of God the old and the new, because it's God's word to us. They also, commit, they also taught the good news uh, concerning Jesus Christ. It was the testimony of God concerning his, his son. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and 2. But you know, it was more than just the basics. We say, well, when they preached the gospel, was it just getting people saved, that term we use, or having them have a conversion experience of coming to faith in Christ. No, it was, it was much more than that, much more than just the basics. Acts chapter 20, if you turn over there a couple of pages, uh, at verse 18, the apostle Paul is giving his farewell to the Ephesian elders. And he says here in verse 18, and when they came together, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. So he's saying, you, you can not only hear what I said, but you saw how I lived. Now look with me, if you would, here at, at verse, uh, eight, eight, uh, verse 21. Uh, verse 20. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say that uh, he is uh, 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 going to face some difficulties that have been revealed by the Spirit. And he says here, uh, verse uh, 25, and now, I, uh, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent uh, of the blood of all. Why? Verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. The totality of God's word. I didn't just bring you the ABCs of basics of how you can be saved, but I gave you the whole counsel of God's word when I taught you, when you were taught by me as an apostle. And I kind of find it interesting that, that he continues on and then warns the elders, be careful because there are going to be people who are going to try to infiltrate the church and draw people away after them. Always be on your guard. Because that would be the attempt to try and uh, turn people away. And isn't it interesting, if you go all the way back to Genesis, what was the first thing that Satan tempted Eve with? Did God really say... Isn't that kind of interesting? We are living in a day where this book is always, it's always been under attack, but even more so among believing people. I won't go here because I, I preached way too long this morning. 
But if you were to see the state of theology of what people who say they believe the Bible believe, they don't line up. And it's, and it's, not, just, and it's not just a few percentages that are off. I'm talking about 50, 60, 70 percent. In some t- context, and I don't know the exact statistic, but there are even Bible-believing people who say, there's other ways of salvation than Jesus. What book are you reading? What book do you believe? What book do you practice? So let me just conclude with this. I had much more in my notes, but... Let me, let me, let me, just, let me just read this. This is out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I just like the way that they, they, the translators clearly captured this. You say, you're putting too much emphasis on the Word of God. The church is more than just teaching. I will agree with that. But that's where it begins. And, it, and if you set aside the teaching of the Word of God, everything else is going to fall apart. But notice what Paul says here to Timothy. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. See, Paul could say, you can examine my teaching, but you know what he also said? You can examine my life, and the two of them line up. But he warns Timothy, and he warns us, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But Timothy, this is what you're to do, verse 14. But you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught this, get this, the holy scriptures from childhood and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. And then notice these words, probably familiar to every one of us. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us what to, what to do what is right. God uses it, the Word of God, to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. How committed are you to the Word of God this morning? Are you allowing God to transform your life as a Christ follower and to dictate, really, your life? And are you committed also to a church that wants to be led by the Word of God? Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this time together in your word. We once again want to confess that your word is truth. There are no errors in your word. Those who suggest that there are contradictions really haven't studied it in detail. There might be difficult things that we fail to grasp or understand, but there's never a contradiction. For Lord, when you speak, you only speak truth. 
And it is our prayer, Father, that in our individual lives as believers, those who name the name of Jesus and want to follow him, that the word of God would always have that place of supremacy in our lives, that we would give ourselves, Lord, to you by opening your word regularly, daily, consistently, and saying, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. And then as we hear you clearly that we act upon in faith what you ask us, what you command us, what you instruct us to do. And Father, it is our prayer that this would not only be true of our individual lives, but collectively as the body of Christ in this expression known as Faith Alliance Church, that the final authority of all that we do, the one that gives us uh, motivation and direction and clarity as to what we are to do, how we are to live, how are we to express ourselves as Christ followers, always finds its foundation in your word. For your word, O Lord, is forever settled in the heavens and it is eternal. O Lord, help us to line up our words, uh, our lives, and our very church expression with the word of God. That we in turn, Lord Jesus, might be the church that you call us to be for your honor and for your glory. Lord, take this message today and seal it to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And may it find uh, application, Lord, in each of us. We pray in thy name, Jesus. Amen.